0: Renz, let me start with you. Scrap metal has now become synonymous with theft. Surely that's a matter for concern.
1: Yeah, of course it's a concern. The problem we have is that, um, you know, the, any industrial country would make some scrap metal, so there is a need for scrap metal dealers and people like that, and there's also the need to export that scrap, otherwise it would be lying all over the street. But... Um, to legislate and to manage that um, market is quite difficult and uh, we had an old act that was really not u- good to use. So what happened is we got some new legislation called the Chicken and Goods Act 6 of 2009 which was introduced just for this to try and regulate this market.
0: And of course, uh, we have seen over the last few months, especially some of the devastating effects that this metal theft has caused. But the effect on the economy, uh, Pitman, how devastating has that been?
2: Well, I think the problem is that the impact is so large, it's, it's very difficult to estimate it because, as you can imagine, um, let's let's use an example of the pylon that toppled over a few weeks ago in Johannesburg. And that's a good um, case in point of, of what kind of damage you can expect. First of all, there's infrastructure damage because um, the pylon needs to be restored and, and other supporting structures was also damaged. Then there's the health and safety risk of, of live electricity on the ground and the very real risk of someone electro- electrocuting themselves. There's the power outage which uh, I think is, is is affecting most people and, and there you, it, it, it starts to multiply in terms of effects because um if a business is without power mm. it it can't operate but it gets worse because some industrial processes are very sensitive to the power input so uh we know that for example a foundry um if the power is cut to a foundry there is a risk that the molten metal can can set in those large foundry cauldrons um and that's a, that's a very big risk because if it sets, you can you can run um into damages of millions of rounds because you can have, you will have to throw away the cauldron. So these these different kinds of risks, and we do try to estimate it um, at a very basic baseline level. We estimate that copper theft costs at least let's say 300 million a year but that's the basic base baseline that does not take into account the metros that does not take into account the cost of policing um, and other infrastructure damage
0: Mm, because i mean by and large uh, this sector was seen as an invisible economy uh, by most south africans but asaki you have recently gotten involved in a drive to stop this uh, uh, copper theft especially
2: Yes. So, um, Saki has been publishing the Copperfest Parameter for three years about now. Um, and the big, the big, um, intention was to to make the public aware of the problem of copper theft um so unfortunately we have a few high profile cases now that that's been picked up by the media and it obviously helps to drive awareness of copper theft but we've been uh, grinding away along uh, during the months when it's not as public but it's still a huge problem Um, Mm. even though copper theft levels might have fallen over the past two years um, a single instance of copper theft can result in millions and millions of economic damage.
0: If you have a copper theft uh, stats jumping uh, you know by an increase of 26% in a year, yeah. then I think it's hardly surprising that we do see some of the disruptions to industry that we have.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's important to, to note that the, the series is pretty volatile. So. You know, it's like uh, you, sh- you shouldn't look at one specific uh, increase in isolation. But you're right. Um, if there's a huge increase in copper theft, it, it immediately uh, manifests in the real economy. It's, it's almost, you know, it's, it's more fundamental to the economy than money.
0: And uh, Renz, we have you back hopefully on a better line this time around. Now, what is it that drives people to actually commit these crimes, given that sometimes it is actually life-threatening uh, operations that they have to go through in order to get to what they want?
1: Yeah, that's quite a funny one. Um, you know these these different things and um, we we categorize the thief into different groupings. We say we got a bread and butter thief, which is a guy that would go out to just steal some cable or things to be able to get some food. The next one is a group of people that, that plan together to do this because they can enhance their income by doing this. And the other group is a group that inside a participator or inside an in, um, in organization that gives inside information and has access to these things and were able to steal it without any problems. And the last group we've got is what we call syndicates, which is doing this at a big rate. And uh, the syndicates are well-organized, they cross international borders, they work directly, they export directly, and and big things. So then you get these different kinds of people. Lots of times what the syndicates do, they actually hire um, drug addicts to do the work for them. And, or they get people from neighboring countries. We find that quite a lot now, that people from neighboring countries are being used by the um, syndicates to come in and, and then um, operate in the areas.
0: Mm. And
1: um, they, they, they will do anything just to get money. And they, they just, when we catch them, we can't actually link them back to the syndicate. And so it, it's, it's a different group of people, every time that's still, and everyone's got his own models of brandy.
0: And, and and that is very worrying because if you look at page 8 of The Citizen today, it says druggies run amok around Power Park. Now, we are aware of the situation, the tragic situation that uh, developed there. But it says a cable thieves scavenge rubble for uh, scraps so that they can buy Nyaope, speaking exactly to the point that you are making right now. But do we not have legislation in place to deal with the problem, Renz?
1: Yeah, we've got the legislation, like I said, this good New Goods Act. The problem with the New Goods Act is it's a very technical act. It was written to try and manage the whole uh, infrastructure of this problem and to define ways of, of managing all the scrap dealers, the single-hand goods um, environment as a whole. The problem is that to actually implement this act, the police meet regulations and standing orders and all kinds of things. And even after we promulgated the act, it, it's taken a few years for us to, to implement the act because now we found that we need to train the police on the ground. So we've helped the police to actually um, write a training manual, and they're writing it out as from next month, it's going to start training the police across the country because um, They've also, on each of the police stations, they put a DSO, a dedicated second-hand officer, who now deals with this, and he has to deal with this problem at the local level. Um, To deal from a national level is very difficult. It's better to take it right down to police level, to police station level. So we're running out this training for these guys, and now, once they... The the biggest problem is that once they found these, these people with these stolen items, actually it's sometimes impossible to prove who the owner is of that article, and then to trace it back to, to that person is very really difficult. Mm. So if you catch see druggies and people that's walking on the street, they will have a big difficulty of finding them and, and, and finding where it actually came from and, and trying to get it back. So you can't lock the person up um, just because he's got a piece of material. You have to prove who is the owner. And for that reason, we're actually busy now with the... Um, Cable manufacturers in manufacturing cables that get, that's marked in specific ways, and um, so that the owners can actually uh, see that. and we're busy writing uh, isn't uh, um, you know, standard on that to make sure that people can actually identify the items.
0: Mm-hmm. But uh, also, Pitman. Surely the businesses that deal in a second-hand or scrap metal, surely they ought to be thoroughly vetted. Uh, you know, uh, they ought to vet uh, these uh, scrap metal dealers that actually bring stuff to them to sell.
2: Mm. Well, you know, as, as Ren said, they, they do have an important role to play, um, but they are also already highly regulated. You know, So, I think it's safe to say that the majority of Scrapper metal dealers are doing business in an ethical manner. Um, it's just not always possible to exactly know when copper is stolen, I, I assume. Um, but to add to what Ren is saying, is uh, that the, the problem with the current situation is not legislation or the policy framework, it's really the implementation and enforcement. Um, Saki calls for or raise the, the, the issue that we might need to consider um, creating a, a national task force or a specific unit that that will look at copper theft from a national level so um, that that force will be able to coordinate all the different um, investigative work done on local level and also go after the more organised criminal elements that perpetuates uh, copper theft.